And I want to invite you to open your Bibles. We will get eventually to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We are looking at Genesis and we're looking at the first 11, 12 chapters of Genesis. And I wanted to remind us that Jesus spoke about the beginning. Um, He drew people's attention back to it on September 9th. We looked at seven or eight places in the Gospels where Jesus drew people's attention back to the beginning of of Scripture. Uh, One of them is Matthew 19. This kind of fits for today's theme, actually, where they said to him, Why did Moses command us to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? They were questioning him, trying to trick him about divorce. And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But then he draws them back to the beginning. And he says, But from the beginning, it was not so. And so looking at and understanding the beginning to Jesus is really significant. There's a lot of truth that happens in the early chapters of Genesis. And I'm going to give us an illustration here in a second. If we we are off in the beginning, we're way off in the end. And we'll see that in just a second. When asked about paying taxes to Caesar, um, Jesus referred to the image on the coin and said, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And... Then he implied, whose image are you made in? And we're made in the image of God. And we find that in Genesis chapter 2. And he told them to render unto God the things that are God's. I've used this illustration before, and it's very fitting. Um, when I was, this has been, it's, I was counting the years. It's been like three plus decades now, three and a half decades ago. I was working with a guy, and we were um, doing construction and we had a time of not having anything to do, and so the owner had us redo his basement. Very nice house, long basement. It was 70 feet long in the basement, and he wanted that redone. And so we're downstairs, and Ron was the guy that I worked for, and Ron said, Jerry, i got to leave. And Ron was a master everything, master electrician, master carpenter, master plumber. He was just incredibly gifted in construction and master patience, but he didn't have master discernment because he let me do something. Uh, <laughs> But he said, I'm going to leave, and what I want you to do is I want you to build a half a wall along this wall, and then when I come back, we'll start finishing up some of the things that we're going to do. And he says, okay, that's simple enough. I'm pretty young, pretty new in construction, and so a half a wall is not hard. Two by fours, I can measure 16 inches centers, that kind of stuff. And he said, but I want to make sure that it's straight, and I want to make sure that it's level. Got it, Ron. Straight, level, do the half wall. You'll be back in a little while. So I started over here in the corner, not assuming that the people who had done the concrete and the foundation had done straight and level all by themselves. Probably could have just used them as my guide, but didn't choose to do that. But I started over here in the corner, and I did pretty good in the corner, the very first two-by-four that I laid down on the ground. But by the time I got to the end of that two-by-four, I was just two-eighths of an inch away from the wall. Just two-eighths, not very much. Maybe three-eighths, okay? But not very much. And so I nailed that one to the floor. The second two-by-four started two-eighths of an inch off. And by the time I got to the end of that two-by-four, it was more than two-eighths of an inch off. So you get seven or eight two-by-fours into that thing, and a quarter of an inch all of a sudden becomes an inch, an inch and a half. And here comes Ron, this master everything, except for discernment, back and he sees this wall that's supposed to be straight and level 
starting out okay over here, you can't even discern it. Maybe an ant can walk through that crack. But over here, you got almost a bedroom between this crack, okay? So we got an inch, inch and a half off. I say that to say this. If we get things wrong with the beginnings, it seems little in the beginning. But in the end, it gets massive. What we end up doing in the end with our belief, with our activities, with our actions, are much more significant than a quarter of an inch. We were reminded, uh, or we learned, from Genesis 1.26 that God made man in his own image. Just a little bit of a recap for me. I've been gone a couple weeks. God made man in his own image. God blessed and tasked Adam and Eve. They were to have dominion over God's creation. They were to be fruitful and multiply. They probably did that better than anything else, fruitful and multiply. And we saw that God provided for those he created in his image. Okay? In Genesis 1, we have a snapshot picture of God's creation. And then in Genesis 2, he goes back and fills in with some of the specifics of the details of the creation account. Give me, let me give you a couple of examples. In Genesis chapter 1, we see, let us make man in our image. And then in Genesis 1.27, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. But we get the specifics of God creating the female in Genesis chapter 2. That's what we're going to look at today. Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 23 is where we get those specifics. In Genesis chapter 1... Um, we, uh, scripture says, so God created man in his own image, but we get the specific of God forming man in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, from the dust of the ground. So he gives a snapshot picture in chapter 1, and then he goes back and fills some of the details in in Genesis chapter 2. If we poorly understand what's going on in early Genesis, or even reject it. And there are many, many, the vast majority in our world would even go there to reject it. If we poorly understand or even reject it, which many do, as we journey through life, we're going to begin to separate, separate ourselves more and more from God's truth and his ideals. What started out an eighth of an inch in time after a lifetime, and then generation after generation after generation, what we're going to have is a God-rejecting world, which is the very world that we live in, the vast majority, um, because they poorly understand the early Genesis. It's like Adam and Eve eating from the tree they were told not to eat. They were enlightened, and then murder came, Genesis chapter 4, and then so much evil came that God destroyed every living thing except for Noah and those that were attached to him. Adam and Eve wouldn't have envisioned all of that when they took a fruit and ate it. That would be the quarter of an inch off. Genesis 11, where God destroys the world with a flood, would be the massive gap between because what they began wrong and understood poorly and didn't line up with became massive. And we've got to be very careful that we don't fall there as well. They just saw the fruit from a tree. They said it was good. It looked good. They thought that what it came with looked good as well. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Garden of Eden, part 2. God created Eve. God had planted, um, established, or pitched a garden, a very real place referenced much in Scripture. We went over that a couple of two or three weeks ago. Had a specific location that certainly would have been affected by the flood that was universal as well. 
In the garden, there were two specific trees that were mentioned. You talked about these a couple of weeks ago, at least one of them. There was the tree of life. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God commanded to not eat of the one lest he die, and he did, and he did. He did eat. He did die. Uh, And then God protected Adam from eating from the other. He protected it with angels so that they wouldn't eat from the tree of life. One day we will eat from the tree of life. We find that over in Revelation chapter 22, but that's not for us just yet. Joshua and Kirk handled chapter 3 in my absence. I had already indicated the passages before I was getting ready to leave, and I didn't want to change them, but when war broke out in Israel, I felt like we needed a, a, a better grip on understanding God and Israel and the church, and so we did an overview of Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Um, and, and so we've already seen Adam created. Uh, you've already dealt with the fall and the curse. What I want to do now is I want us to go back and get Eve into the picture, okay? Um, you already know that she's a prominent person because of Genesis chapter 3, but I want us to see some specifics of Genesis chapter 2 that God gave concerning Eve's creation. Um, I thought it merited an entire message. What we're going to look at today, we're going to look at God's assessment of Adam and his situation We're going to see God make a decision. We're going to see God do some activity. We're going to look at Adam's response. And then we're going to look at what I call a very strangely unique marriage declaration that we find at the end of chapter 2 as well. Let's read it together. We're in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, verse 24, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed." Let's look at God's assessment for Adam. God's assessment for Adam and his situation. But I want to remind us of something. We're talking about pre-sin. Sin hasn't happened yet. They've been, they've been placed in the garden. Excuse me. He's been placed in the garden. Um, the, he's, he's named the animals or is in the process of naming the animals. He's tending the garden. Temptation hasn't come. The fall hasn't come. There is no curse yet. There's no curse. Zero curse. God's assessment for Adam is this. It is not good that man should be alone. God's assessment for Adam was it's not good that man should be alone. Now I want to think about this because Adam had some unique privileges that you and I don't have. Adam was able to walk with God in the cool of the day, however long he was there. He was able to walk with God and talk with God and commune with God. And yet God said of Adam, it's not good that he should be alone. Adam and God. And yet God said it's not good that he should be alone. There wasn't anything or anyone created according to his kind. 
There were things created according to the animal's kind, things created according to the fish kind, the bird's kind, but not according to Adam's kind. The animals had other animals, but not Adam. This isn't an afterthought. It's, a process, it's the process of creation and God's account. And God saw that Adam needed a helper comparable to him. There was no one or anything that God had created that fit the Adam need, the Adam fit. And yet God walked with Adam and talked with Adam, all right? Pre-sin, God created Adam with a social need, a need to interact with someone, listen to this, other than God himself. He walked with God and talked with God and communed with God, he He was tasked with the task that God gave him to care for the garden and name the animals. He did all of that. And yet God said of Adam, it's not good that he should be alone. It was a pre-sin need that Adam had by God's design. I want to address a comment, just say a minute, a thing or two about it, that I've heard many times that has a half of a truth and it sounds incredibly spiritual. And it's this, God is enough, just me and God. Have you heard the song, like two peas in a pod? You heard that one? I don't particularly care for that one, but that's the song, okay? God is enough. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what life brings my way, God is enough. That sounds intensely spiritual, but he wasn't enough in the garden before sin because God said it's not good that Adam should be alone. All right? Why wasn't God enough for Adam? Well, he was obviously enough for the God position, but God created Adam, Adam with a social need as well. This was pre-sin, pre-fall, pre-curse, and God said, it is not good. It was the first, it is not good, that he had pronounced. God had created Adam with an internal desire for a social network, someone that fit him hand in glove, okay? And I think it's even wrapped up in the Trinity and Adam being called, created in the image of God. There's a father, a son, the Holy Spirit. They spoke among themselves. We find a couple of examples. I'll read a couple of them. And Adam was created in the image of God. And yet he had no one. He didn't have anybody yet. There's a father, the son, and the spirit. They talk among themselves. Let us make man in our image. 126, God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. Chapter 3, verse 22. God saw that Adam also needed a companion, a helper, a someone to interact with differently than he interacted with the rest of creation, even differently than he interacted with God himself. So if you say God is enough, it's true If you define it the way God defines it, God is enough, and that means I don't need anybody else. I can just enfrentar. So you're going to get Portuguese for a few weeks now. I can just encounter whatever it is that happens in my life, and God is just enough for me. Well, God created Adam with a social need, and the social need was to have a wife, and then all that comes from that social fabric as well. And so if in my declaration of God is enough, I'm recognizing that God has created me with other needs also, and I define them the way God does, then that's true, God is enough. But if I'm thinking just me and God and just us against the world, that isn't true, um, because God saw that Adam needed someone as well. 
So that was the situation, God's assessment, God's pre-sin assessment for Adam. It's not good that he should be alone. And then God made a decision. He didn't ask Adam about it. He said to himself, I will make him a helper comparable to him. A helper, not someone to dominate, not someone to usurp his authority. I'm going to make him a helper um, that, uh, that, he should not be, that he should not be alone. It's not an afterthought. Male and female have already been um, referred to in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It's the process of creation. We don't know how much time has passed, but I'm not with Carl Sagan that it's angel stuff and millions and billions of years. Uh, some amount of time has passed, though. We don't know how much, but enough time for God to establish a garden to the east of Eden. Now, I don't know how God does gardening. Maybe when you can create with your word in six days everything that was created and he wants a garden, maybe he just goes east of Eden and says, garden, and it's there. I don't know. But what we know is that he created a garden to the east of Eden. All right? Um, Enough time for Adam to already have had the created animals paraded in front of him, and he named them one by one. All that had happened as well. A little bit of time, certainly not millions and billions of years. What we know is that nothing from the already created realm, verses 19 and 20, Genesis 2, filled the help meet need, the social interaction need that Adam had um, and was created with, and that was from God. So all I need is to be able to go fishing. Well, probably not. It's nice to be able to go fishing, but even then I want somebody in the boat sometimes, all right? And so we've got this social need that God created us with. Out of the ground, it says in verse 19, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called them, Whatever Adam called each of the living creatures, that was its name. I don't know why, but I've been hung up on this lately. I wonder what language he used. Wouldn't have used English. Hebrew didn't exist yet. Was it, was it angelic tongues? We don't know, but whatever Adam called them, that's what they were called. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. So God said, I will make him a helper comparable to him. That's New King James Version. I will make him a helper fit for him, English Standard. I will make him a helper suitable for him, a helper, one who helps, one who gives assistance, one who comes alongside, not one who dominates, not one who does all of the tasks that I don't want to do myself, not someone that I pee on, not someone that I, that I step on top of, but, but a helper, someone to come alongside, comparable, fit, or, or suitable, a counterpart, an opposite that fits, a corresponding part. If it's wintertime and it's cold outside and we want our hands to be warm, we find a glove that isn't our hand, and yet it fits into our hand. That's what Eve was to Adam. God gave him or was going to make for him a helper that was suitable for him. God assessed Adam's need. He made a decision to make a helpmeet, and then he went to work. And we find in verse 21 God's activity. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman, that's creativity, and he brought her to the man. God could have spoken Eve into existence. He had spoken everything else into existence except Adam, but he didn't do that. He could have formed Adam from the dust of the ground like he had Adam, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, but he didn't do that either. 
So he made, and I'm quoting, so uh, she was made from Adam, his bone, his flesh, the same stuff, and was a bearer of God's image and likeness just as Adam was. Eve was designed to be a companion and a helper suitable for Adam, for Adam, from Adam. Eve was, trans- Eve was formed from a literal physical part of Adam, his rib, by God's design. She was an integral part of who he was. So let's go back to the wall that I'm building. If I get this thing wrong by a quarter of an inch here, or an eighth of an inch here, and then I progress 10 years or 20 years or one century or one decade, and, and, and I just keep on progress. How wrong am I going to be way out there in the front? Jesus took us back to the beginning, and that's where we need to go. Eve was formed for Adam by God, his design, his idea. He didn't ask Adam's opinion about it. He just did it. God brought her to the man. God was the one who said, it's not good that man should be alone. God was the one who said, I'll make him a helper comparable to him. God was the one who formed her from Adam's rib. And now God brings this gift of a comparable helper to the one he had formed from the dust of the ground in his image and breathed in his nostrils and the breath of life. What an amazing gift that God is bringing to Adam. He has created everything and said, everything, it's good, it's good, it's, it's very good. But this one thing isn't good, but I'm going to take care of it. I've already got a plan. And I caused him to go to sleep, and it was the first anesthesia, if you will, and he slept, and God took a rib out. And I think we have indicators that, that Adam knew what was going on as well, and I'll read that in just a second. And so he took a rib out, and he formed Eve from this rib, and then he brought her to Adam as this gift. What an incredible God-creator, sustainer, redeemer gift that he gave to Adam. Adam, you have a need. You don't interact with anything in my created world the way you need to, and I'm going to give you something to react with. We have a social need. Is God enough? Absolutely God is enough, period. And right now, God is enough mean that God, means that, that, God, that, that Jerry walks with Kathy because she's my wife and we walk through life together. And then it also means that the other social interactions that I have through the relationships that I have are critical and important as well. They need to take their appropriate place in God's picture. But it isn't just me and God and that's it and forget Kathy and forget the kids and forget you guys and forget everybody else. It's just me and God infinite, encountering everything that happens in life. That isn't the way it goes. God is enough when he gets to define the terms. What an amazing gift God was giving Adam. I wonder, this is me wondering, I wonder if Ephesians 5 hints to this creation of Eve account where the Spirit of God had Paul penned these words. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. She was his own body. That's where she came from. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh. She was his flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. You might say, yeah, but Jerry, Kathy wasn't taken from your rib. No, she wasn't. Kind of. Unless I project it way back there in Eden where God caused Adam to go to sleep 
and then opened up his side and took a rib out of him. And so I just wonder about that, something to think about that. It's been said, and appropriately so, that God's gift of a helper comparable to Adam was taken from his side to walk with him, helping him, completing him, not his feet in a symbolic subservient type of way or his head to rule over him, but from his side. But listen, equal doesn't mean equal in task and responsibility. Adam had his tasks and responsibilities before the Lord. Eve has her tasks and responsibilities before the Lord. I have my tasks and responsibilities before the Lord. Kathy has hers. You have yours. Your spouse has theirs. And so equal means value, but it doesn't mean that we do the same things or say the same things or dress the same way. Um, She was certainly valued, though. And I thought of Galatians chapter 3. Listen to this. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ, equal, yes, but each with tasks given by the Lord. Genesis, excuse me, Galatians chapter 3, that we are equal in Christ, no male, no female, no Jew nor Gentile, doesn't give a believer a reason or a justification to undo other passages of Scripture because I'm equal to somebody in Christ. And so Eve and Adam are equal in their importance, but their responsibilities are different because there's male responsibilities and there are female responsibilities. Just as Kathy and I are equal in our importance in the Lord, but she has her responsibilities and I have my responsibilities. And just because I'm equal doesn't give me the chance to take this passage over here and rip it out of my Bible and say this one doesn't apply because I'm equal in Jesus. We are equal in Jesus, but we have to define things the way God defines them as well. So what we see is we see God assessing Adam's need. He made a decision to make a helpmeet, and then he went to work. We saw his activity in creating her. Let's look at Adam realizing this was a gift from God and his response. Adam's response is in verse 23. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He understood what had happened. Even though, even though there was a deep sleep that was placed upon him and he slept, he's indicating here that I understand what happened, that God took a rib from me and created her. She's bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She, she shall be called woman. She was taken out of man. He understood the process that God used to create Eve. She was taken from me. Adam's response is kind of like a kid at Christmas. I doubt that she had a bow on her head. Actually, she didn't have anything. And there wasn't any sin yet. We're talking pre-sin here, all right? They're running around the garden naked, all right? And that was good enough for Adam. So he's like a kid at Christmas. I understand that. In keeping with his task, he gives names to, of giving names to everything that God had created. He calls her woman because she was taken out of man. Peter would later tell believing men that their believing wives are fellow heirs of the grace of life. Nothing inferior, nothing superior. All equal, completely, absolutely in Christ. Fellow heirs of the grace of life. And then he says, you treat them appropriately. And I think this is for a believing spouse or an unbelieving spouse. You treat them appropriately because if you don't, your prayers are going to be hindered. The way I treat my wife either helps me or harms me in my prayers that I pray to God. And so I should be praying specific things instead of just general things. That's okay sometimes as well. And if I'm not treating my wife right, Peter indicates that it's going to hinder God answering some of the prayers because he has something else he'd rather teach me. And that's how to, teach, how to, treat, my, how to treat my wife. 
You might be in a marriage relationship with someone who is not a follower of Christ. 1 Corinthians 7 tells us that they are God's unique mate for you at this particular time. Follow God with all of your heart and love your spouse as aggressively as you can. The lack that God had observed in Adam has been cared for. This is the beginning, just the beginning of the social fabric that would ultimately surround both of them. They would have kids. They would have grandkids. Genesis chapter 5, we find the genealogy of Adam as well. In that social fabric, Genesis shows us and the rest of Scripture teaches us that the marriage relationship between a man and a woman is the cornerstone. So back in Genesis, I'm with my wall, the cornerstone is is the significant relationship between a man and a woman. Pre-sin, no curse, no fall. The significant relationship is between a man and a woman. Now you fast forward into our world and it has gotten crazy, crazy. But if you go all the way back to Genesis, that very corner where that board is supposed to be up against that concrete, it's man and woman. Amen? Perhaps you're in a non-marriage situation. And there are lots of reasons that people are in non-marriage situations, okay? Some of that social need is met through others that God places in our lives for which we are very thankful. Don't feel like you're less than, absolutely complete in Christ, equal to, um, not inferior, not superior. Um, But back at the wall, if I'm going to build it, I have to build it straight and I have to build it level. And if I get off there... I'm going to fast forward to 2023 and look out in the world and see exactly what we see. And that's men marrying men, women marrying women, men calling themselves women, women calling themselves men. Why? Why? Because way back here, they got it wrong. Way back here. God designed, God's Genesis design design and reinforce in other places in scripture is a one man one woman marriage you might think that is very narrow god is very narrow no apologies are you following him or are you seeking to make him follow you and your understanding of the world i think we're supposed to be followers of jesus christ and jesus i don't think about i know that and jesus said go way back to the beginning that's where you're supposed to get it It didn't take long for the Genesis design of marriage to be challenged. Lamech, who is Cain's son, was the first one to have two wives in Genesis chapter 4. All right? And if we walk through our Old Testament, we'd find many who follow that pattern. Some who are significant Old Testament personalities. We find Samuel's dad, Elkanah, and Hannah. He had two wives. We find David with all of those that he had. We find Solomon as well. Listen, that's not a prescription of how you should do things. It's God's honest description of how they did things. It doesn't mean it was problem-free, that it wasn't problematic. It's just a recording of the things that happened. And then we fast forward to what we have today. When you're off in the beginning, you're going to be way off later down the road. You know what's interesting with those who are confused, though? or outright reject what God has for the Genesis pattern of marriage. You know what's interesting? Their response is the exact same response of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. God, this is the woman that you gave me. God made me this way. Well, God, 
I did it, but I was tempted and I was deceived. And so there's this God responsibility when he's not the one who's responsible. Now, it gets really complex because once sin entered the picture, and it doesn't really fit for this message, but once sin enters the picture, then everybody that comes into this world is sin-infected. And that's why we have the, comp- the complications that we have. And so we, we come back here and seek to understand what God wanted where it's, where it's straight and it's, and it's, and it's level, um, and yet we have the reality of our sin, and that has to be dealt with, which is what Jesus did, and we even observed that this morning. When you're off in the beginning, you're going to be off way down the road. Adam and Eve would go on to be fruitful and multiply. Let's finish with this. Woman becomes wife. First, she was woman. She was bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And then she became wife. And I call this the very unique marriage declaration. And this is why I say that. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Adam and Eve didn't have a father and mother. And so where does this phrase even come from as the last verse of Genesis chapter 2? And the where it came from is understandable. Moses, Jesus said in Matthew 19, was the one who wrote this passage. And so God, God inspired, even though it's strange to Jerry, it's God inspired. God inspired Moses to take this passage, this truth, and lift it and place it right there at the creation account, even though, even though Adam and Eve didn't have a, a mother and a father. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh. Adam and and Eve were one flesh, and they were joined together in marriage. They were both naked. The man and his wife were not ashamed. And I wonder, this is me again, wondering if this is more, if there's more in this one flesh statement than just the sexual union. Obviously, that's there as well in a husband and wife relationship. It's the marriage bed that's undefiled. All of the others are defiled, forgivable, but defiled as well. But I wonder if in this, but I wonder if this also goes back to the idea of she took him, excuse me, God took her from his rib. They became one flesh. I mean, like it's just literally a one flesh thing. It isn't just the the coming together in a sexual union, but she is one flesh because she came from his flesh. Eve was God's gift to Adam to fill his not good that he should be alone need, and God continues to be interested in his creation. He sent his son to buy us back from sin, to redeem us, He's given us his spirit, if you're a child of God, to, to guide you and to teach you. He's motivated, with, with, motivated us with his word, saying that I will, Jesus saying, I will come again and receive you unto, his, uh, unto himself. And so we're looking for that. What a caring, loving, creator God that we have. Amen? Amen. Absolutely righteous, sometimes fearfully righteous is who he is. But what a loving creator God. Out of all of creation, he looked at Adam, the one he had formed from the ground, and said, you know what, This he needs someone that's a helper for him. I'm going to make her for him. And that's exactly what he did. That's the loving father that you serve. Not just in that arena, that area, but in every other arena and area of need that we have as well. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. We confess that we live in days where we are so far from the beginning that sometimes we don't even know how to battle. 
And we pray for our children and our teenagers and our young people and ask you to protect. And Father, I pray that you would place within each one of our hearts, this is where we can pray, that you would place within each my heart, each one of our hearts, a desire to be absolutely, completely truth-filled from the beginning. Not to deviate, not to change, not to try and make you fit into what I think, but that we would be conformed to who you are and what you desire for us. Father, what an incredible gift that you as a creator gave to your creation, Adam. He needed Eve. You took something from him, created her, and brought her back as a gift to him. Father, I pray for the, for the, for the uh, uh, marriages that are represented right here, that we would either view or begin to view or continue to grow in viewing our spouses in just that way, a gift from God. Thank you for the social fabric that you placed around each one of us, no matter where we're at in our, in our situation in life, that there are other people that can speak into our lives and we speak into their lives, but may we not justify what we do and get away from truth. May we always be drawn back to truth. Thank you for your love for us. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.